Well, in the interest of full disclosure, as I asked the kids, what are my fears? Well, some of them you know. I don't like spiders and I don't like snakes, like the song says. I'm not fond of heights. Needles and, inje- needles and injections, I'm working my way there. But not my favorite thing. And believe it or not, as a kid, part of something which I don't think most people would realize, but as I was growing up, I was a little bit shy. In fact, when we would go to summer camp, I never went to summer camp to Quaker Haven in Indiana because it would involve me getting to know people that I didn't know, being put in an environment completely where I didn't know anybody. Now, I know you find that kind of hard to believe, but uh, I never went to camp maybe but one year, and after that one week, I decided never again. Now, we all have fears. Some of them are sort of basic garden variety fears, and they don't go much beyond our daily existence. Some of them can be very paralyzing. Some of them are what you would call kind of a big word, an existential fear. That word existential simply means existence. But somehow just the mere existence, life, brings fear to us more than spiders and snakes. But things that have to do with maybe death, a threatened feeling, not necessarily immediate, but it's out there. I was... um, made aware of this in a very real way uh, through Chad a couple weeks ago. Chad and Marissa, his girlfriend, had stopped by the house. Um, We're both in Chapel Hill. She lives there, and, of course, Chad's there for grad school. And they had stopped by the house on a Saturday, and we were just chit-chatting and talking and excited for him, excited for them. They both graduated, and he's starting his graduate program and wanted to hear about how classes were going. He's taking classes. He's teaching classes, which just kind of blew my mind. And so wanted to know how that was going. And he talked for a few minutes about that, but then he kind of got serious. And he wanted to talk a little bit about the Middle East and about terrorism. And had I been watching all this stuff about ISIS on the news and everything that was happening, And I could just tell, in a sort of generalized way, the world did not feel safe to him anymore. It felt out of control. It felt scary. And his existence, in some ways, felt threatened by all of this. And I think I got angry for a second, because I wanted to say, this isn't how it should be. It is, but it isn't. You have your whole life ahead of you. You have one of your best moments of your life right now that you're going through. And this is what you have been invited to think about and dwell on. But what can you say? It's been a hard summer. Past few months have given us images of violence and tragedy. Middle East. Israel, Gaza, Ukraine, planes being shot down, unrest in cities like Ferguson. All of these, plus the changes and transitions in our life, they get a foothold in our hearts and our souls. And maybe we're more like him, Chad, than we realize. Maybe he's the honest one sitting in the living room last night or that night. And I'm the one trying to pretend, eh, I'm not even going to think about this. This is one of those experiences, much like anxiety and worry, that I find scriptures talk about 
In fact, they're often related. Our anxiety and our worry causes us to fear. And in turn, our fears create more anxiety, worry, and stress. And maybe it's comforting to know that one of the more prolific phrases in scriptures is simply, fear not. Author Lloyd Ogilvy says that there are 366 fear not verses in the Bible. He says one for every day, including leap year. Now, I haven't counted to verify that, and I'm not going to. I'm going to take his word at it. But all of us have fears. I don't know if you read Dave Barry or not. He's a humorist, but I like what he says. All of us have fears. All of us are born with an instinctive set of fears, like falling, or of the dark, or fear of lobsters, or fear of falling on lobsters in the dark, or speaking before a rotary club, and of the words, some assembly required. If you've ever been to Ikea, you should go in great fear, because those words will be all over those boxes. And usually there will be a few parts missing, but that's a whole other story. Well, what is the purpose of fear? Does it even have a valid reason or purpose? Well, like I tried to explain to the kids, and I sort of caught myself saying, don't fear, then I thought, well, there's a few things you should probably be aware of. Fear is sort of a self-correcting mechanism. It motivates us to take action and be ready when there are things that threaten us. It readies our body to flee, to hide, or to take flight. So to experience fear at times doesn't necessarily make us unfaithful Christians or followers of Jesus. It has a way of alerting us to something we need to pay attention to. But it becomes problematic when fear strikes at times when it's neither helpful or wanted. It gets attached to what does not truly threaten us, and it becomes paralyzing instead of motivating in our life. In some cases, fear becomes something that is habitual, and when it becomes habitual, we become worriers. Now, John Ortberg, who I'll mention in a few more moments, talks about this. He says, worry is this. Worry is fear that has unpacked its bags, it has signed a long-term lease, and worry will never move out of its own accord. It has to be evicted. So fear and worry and anxiety, it happens to us. So for us, at least for me and maybe others, it's not a matter of I'm not going to fear. It's probably a matter of there are things that will feel threatening, but how do we live faithfully in the context of that? This story that um, Brendan read, simple story of Peter and disciples on the open water, Jesus walking on the water towards them. It's a story of when fear meets faith. Having faith, as I just underscored, is never a matter of not fearing. We will fear. There will be things in our life that will kick in our fear mechanism. I get on a roof. I look down. I'm way too high. I need to get off. When I feel the fear, though, what will I choose to focus on? How can my faith in the presence of the living Christ and the reality of God become greater than my fears and the world's threats? Dallas Willard, who has passed away, but a wonderful writer on the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the spiritual life, used to make this statement. And I don't think he was exaggerating, but it sounds like he was. But he used to make the statement, the world is a completely safe place to live in. The world is a completely safe place to live in. He never said that we wouldn't have tragedy. 
He never said that there wouldn't be bad, horrific things. I think what he was saying was even with those, for people of faith and for everyone, it is still a completely safe place to live because God is present and still real. And I want to overcomplicate this, so let me just suggest a few things, a couple, when it comes to this story in Matthew's gospel. The first is this. When it comes to fear and faith in life, it's never a clean-cut either-or. It's often a both-and. In other words, we'll have our moments of fear. There will be times, like the disciples in the boat, that we will feel battered, tossed about, if you want, by the storms of life. And our ability to see clearly is not going to be as clear as we want it to be. I really resonate with these disciples. I've been in moments where it seems like the storms of life are pretty strong. And you're getting tossed around and you can't see as well. And I want to be able to see in the midst and the presence of all this, the presence of Jesus in my life, but I'm just not seeing very clearly. I'm distracted. I need to take a second look. At first, the disciples thought he was a ghost. But then they saw again as they were invited to look, and they recognized it wasn't a ghost, but it was Jesus. So then rather than beating ourselves up over having fears and pushing them down because we're trying to be maybe a super Christian, if I could use that, maybe it's possible to just simply say, well, fear happens, and there will be those moments But even in those moments, Jesus speaks out to us in the midst of those storms these words, Take heart, it is I. Don't be afraid. Or as another translation says, be encouraged. Have courage. I'm here. Don't be afraid. This is the faith part where we live and trust that we're not alone in this universe, that God hasn't abandoned us to fend for ourselves. It's recognizing and affirming that God will provide all that we need. Now, I recognize something, that fear often arises from the sense that we don't have enough, or we won't have enough when we need something. In reality, culture, media, and life have convinced us that we're supposed to have more and that we need more. And I'm beginning to find out more and more that a life of simplicity of heart and lifestyle helps me to live into the reality that God will provide all I need. Sometimes I get scared that God isn't going to provide all we need because it's more about what all I want. But God will provide all I need and we need. It's kind of superficial, but Linda and I are probably going to be looking for a new car this week, or a car, I should say. Now, am I nervous about it? Eh, I'm only nervous because it's not one of my favorite things to do. But as we've talked about it, I said, you know, I'm okay with this because, number one, we've gotten a lot of mileage out of the last car, 218,000 miles. But in years past, quite honestly, I would have been more worried about what I want because I was kind of caught up in what would look good, what would make me look good, and it takes a lot, i tell you that. But right now, I'm just in a place of what do we need? What is it that we need? And I'm not really that worried about it because I feel that God is going to provide just what we need. If we're willing to be centered and focused on simply being simple about it. I'm probably giving away my biases as to what we'll look at, but I think that's kind of where we are. The second thing I want to say is simply this. Step into the fear. Or in other words, 
Get out of the boat. Take whatever steps you need to take to address the fear. Don't let the fear keep you in the boat. Now, I wish I could say I came up with it on my own, but I didn't. John Ortberg came up with that. He wrote this book, If You Want to Walk on Water, You've Got to Get Out of the Boat. He makes the point that people are often looking at Peter saying, boy, Peter just failed because he started to sink. He looked away from Jesus. He looked at the storms. He started to go underneath the water, and they think he got chastised. But think about this for a moment. At least Peter did what? At least he got out of the boat. Some folks will spend a lifetime staying in the boat and then blaming everyone else or everything else in their life for not being able to live life more fully or living up to their potential. At least Peter stepped into the fear and got out of that boat. Now, here's what John Ortberg has to say. He says it much better than me, so I want to share this with you. I believe there is something or someone inside of us who tells us there is more to life than sitting in the boat. You were made for something more than merely avoiding failure. There is something inside you that wants to walk on the water, to leave the comfort of routine existence and abandon yourself to this high adventure of following God. And then he asks this question. So let me ask you a very important question. What's your boat? Your boat is whatever represents safety and security to you apart from God himself. Your boat is whatever you're tempted to put your trust in, especially when life gets a little stormy. Your boat is whatever keeps you so comfortable that you don't want to give it up even if it's keeping you from joining Jesus on the waves. Your boat is whatever pulls you away from the high adventure of extreme discipleship. You want to know what your boat is? Your fear will tell you. Just ask yourself this. What is it that most produces fear in me, especially when I think of leaving it behind and stepping out in faith? What's your boat? In what areas of your life are you shrinking back from fully and courageously trusting God? Fear will tell you what your boat is. Leaving it may be the hardest thing you do, but if you want to walk on water, he says it again, you've got to get out of the boat. Or as I like to say, lean into your fear. Just lean into it. And in that process, begin to step out and toward Christ. Now, our boats may be our vocation. Maybe it's time to make a change. Sometimes our boats are relationships. We can be very courageous. We can climb a mountain. We can take the highest roller coaster. We can, we can go on the highest point. But sometimes we are scared half to death when we've got to have an open and honest, intimate conversation with somebody. Sometimes we have to step into that fear. Maybe our boat is approval. We seek and live for the approval of others in our life, and so we really miss out on who we really are and how God has called us to be. Sometimes it's just simply being faithful to God's call on our life, to a new chapter in our life, to a new transition. I don't know what it is. Again, can't come up with an exhaustive list. We each have to listen and ask ourselves, I know I do. What is my boat? What's that secure place I tend to stay into instead of stepping out of it toward Christ? One of the more beloved psalms, the 23rd psalm, has this verse. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil. And the promise is this, in a few words. The darkest valleys of our life are nothing compared to the presence of God in all of creation. The evil present in our world and in our lives is no match for the presence of God in all of creation. We have a good shepherd 
who's looking out for us, who follows us, who leads us, who provides for us, who tends to us, who is deeply committed to us. And yes, when I watch the news, I have to keep reminding myself this, that even through the darkest valley, I fear no evil. Because the minute I even fear evil, then I really give up my capacity to do something about it to be a light and a presence in this world, to do good. As Paul would say, to overcome evil with what? Good. If I'm fearful of even doing good, then evil has really won the day. Jewish rabbi Harold Kushner, in his book on the 23rd Psalm, talks about this, and he writes this, God is the one who is with us. When we have to do something hard, he is the one who's with us when we're tempted to feel that the world has abandoned us. He is the one who is with us when we feel alone in the valley of the shadow. Then he asks this question. Is the conviction that God is on our side really enough to dispel fear? He gives this very simple illustration, how a little bit of light is enough to even dispel a little bit of fear in a room full of darkness, like a child, he says, who wakes up in the middle of the night in a totally dark room, and they're frightened by the noise outside. In fact, one of the kids said that here this morning. They're frightened by the noise, the creaking of the walls, the rattling of the windows. And when I would wake up as a kid in the totally dark room and look, and all of a sudden I forgot what was across the room. It had this shape and this figure, and it probably was something that was on my desk all the time, but I didn't know it then. But he says there is this moment where a tiny light in the room is just enough to make the darkness less than total. Maybe the door is cracked open a bit. Maybe a nightlight. Maybe a flashlight. The child is no longer afraid. And if the child cries out to their mother and father, they reassure the child, it's all right, we are here, there is nothing to be afraid of. In the same way, Rabbi Kushner says, when we find ourselves mired in emotional darkness, when events and people conspire to fill our lives with anguish, it takes only a little ray of light to make the darkness bearable. And I want to add this piece to this, and then we'll close. That we as friends, we as Quakers, we talk an awful lot in a way that we should about the light of Christ in our life, this inward light, being this light in the world. And it made me think that maybe, just maybe, we can be a presence in the world that offers a kind of encouragement to others, to those that we know are struggling with fears. How can you and I be those that offer a ray of light to those around us? And in our offering a ray of light, we're offering a word that says, it's all right. We're here for you. There's nothing to be afraid of. If I'm going to do that, though, I need to be a person who lives with that confidence and that assurance and that conviction that, yes, even in this world, God is still present. Even in this world, I have nothing to fear. I fear no evil. Even in this world, this little ray of light can dispel all of this. And when I live in that conviction, I, myself, and you, we can also become that ray of light that offers hope to others. 
I got invited over for a, um, a lesson on how to put a kitchen together. Dave and Kat have been working on their kitchen, and Dave won't let me handle the power tools. Uh, obviously, he's heard about me. He's got some good-looking power tools, I'll tell you what. Guy's, uh, guy knows what he's doing. So I get, to ha- I get to hold the light, and it's a flashlight, and we were out sawing in the dark. Yes, the dark, that's why we had the light. And we'd come in, the power's turned off, so he wouldn't get shocked. Didn't matter about me, I was just holding the light. But as I sat there, I thought, this is a pretty good job for a Quaker pastor, shining the light on someone working in the dark. My prayer is for myself and all of us to be those who shine the light in the dark for those who need that light. As a faith community here in this part of High Point, wherever, we shine that light. People that we walk and journey with every day, that we shine that light. In our yearly meeting, in our interactions with others, that we be a light that shines forth the presence of Christ. That we be those that help people overcome the fear that paralyzes and help people live into the assurance that God is present. Let's take a few moments.